Well, that song was called Our Offering, and it's uh, an amazing thing to be able to give back to God. Uh, we're going to talk a little bit about that this morning. See, today uh, we rearranged the service a little bit, and maybe you feel a little bit jarred, like, hey, we were supposed to sing a little bit more, the kids were supposed to stay a little bit longer. That's good, right? Because we've got to get out of our comfort zone a little bit every once in a while. Uh, so we rearranged the service schedule because we're going to be talking about worship this morning, and we wanted to give you an opportunity to worship at the end. If we preach on worship, we should have a chance to worship, right? So worship is the showing or feeling of reverence and adoration for God. See, it's more than just singing. Worship is about our, our adoration and our reverence that we hand to God, and we give it to Him. Now, if you see on the title screen, uh, we spelled it worth-ship. That's not a typo. When I first sent it to Andy, he's like, are you sure that's the right way you spell it? I'm like, yeah, no, no, that's what we need to do. Because this was the original spelling of the word. In the Old English, it was spelled W-O-R-T-H-S-I-P, worth-ship. And I tend to like that spelling a little bit better. Why? Because worship is what we ascribe worth to. See, what are the things that are the most valuable to you? What are the things that uh, hold the most weight in your life? Whatever the answer is there, I want you to think about that for a second. What is important to you? What holds your attention the most? Because that is what you worship. And worship is our chance to give something back to God. It's us showing him how much he is worth to us. Max Licato says this. He says, people on a plane and the people on a pew have a lot in common. All are on a journey. Most are well-behaved and presentable. Some doze. Others gaze out the window. Most, if not all, are satisfied with the experience. For many, the mark of a good flight and a good worship service are the same. Nice is what they like to say. It was a nice flight. It was a nice worship service. And we exit the same way that we enter, and we're happy to return the next time. But see, there are some, however, that are not content with just nice. There are some that seek more. There was once a boy on a plane uh, one day that longed for more than just a nice flight. As he boarded the plane, he made his request known. He wanted to see the pilot. He said, hey, I want something more out of this flight. Will they really let me go in the cockpit? Will they really let me see the pilot? Well, the pilot invited the boy in and showed him the cockpit with all its bright gauges and shiny instruments. He got to sit in the seat. He got to put his hands on the controls, and he met the pilot. And when he went back to his seat, no one else's face on the entire plane had such excitement, had such wonder. His eyes were big. As you looked around the cabin, everyone else's face was just expressing contentment, content to be on the plane, content to be closer to their destination, content to sit and stare and stay a while. That is what they sought, and that is what they got. But the boy wanted more. He wanted to see the pilot. 
And if asked to describe the, uh, the, the, the flight that he was on, he would say more than just nice. He said, I got to see the man up front. I got to see more. You see, the people in the, uh, in the plane and the people in the pew are the same. They're content to be there, content to sit and to look straight and to leave the same when the service is over, content to enjoy a service with no surprises, with no turbulence. Everything goes the way that they expected it to go. The Bible says, seek and you will find. And often what we come to this room with is we just want to have a nice, run-of-the-mill worship service. Nice is what we seek, and nice is what we find. But there are some who seek more. Abraham was a man that sought more, and it changed him. See, worship doesn't change God. Worship changes the worshiper. We're going to look at Genesis 22, verses 2 through 5. The choir just sang about this uh, passage, and it talks about Abraham and Isaac. God says in this passage to Abraham, he says, Take your son, your only son, whom you love, and go to the land of Moriah and offer him there as a burnt offering on one of the mountains which I tell you. So Abraham rose early in the morning. That's a crazy passage right there, right? God says, go sacrifice your son. And the next thing it says, doesn't say Abraham thought about it. He didn't pray about it. He didn't think about it. It says, so Abraham rose early in the morning and saddled his donkey, took two of his young men with him and his son Isaac, and he cut the wood for the burnt offering and arose and went to the place which God had told him. And on the third day, Abraham lifted up his eyes and saw the place from afar off. And then Abraham said to his young men, Stay here with the donkey. I and the boy will go over there and worship and come again to you. Down in verse 17, it says that because Abraham worshiped with all that he had, he was given a special blessing. God made a special covenant with him. God made a special promise to him. But here in this passage, this is the first time the word worship is used in the Bible. And we know this story well. God tells Abraham to go to a designated place on top of a mountain. And then he tells him to offer a sacrifice, adoration for God. We know that God told Abraham to sacrifice his only son, Isaac. But at the last minute, God provided a substitute. God stopped Abraham from sacrificing his son and provided a lamb in the thicket. And we realize that this is a picture of what Jesus Christ did for us on the cross. There was a substitute made. He took our place. Abraham went to a designated place to worship God. But Abraham was the one that was changed and blessed and provided for. See, when we talk about the word worth-ship, this is what I mean. Abraham's worship was worth his son's life. But see, God didn't want his son's life. He wanted Abraham's heart. It was more than just singing a song. This is what worship is. Worship costs us something. It requires some things of us. Moses sought more as well in Exodus uh, 34.4. It says, so Moses cut two tables of stone like the first 
And he rose early in the morning and went up on a Mount Sinai. And as the Lord commanded him and took in his hands two tables of stone, the Lord descended in the cloud and stood with him there and proclaimed the name of the Lord. The Lord passed before him and proclaimed, The Lord, the Lord, a God merciful and gracious, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love and faithfulness, keeping steadfast love for thousands. I like this next part. Forgiving iniquity and transgression and sin, but who by no means will clear the guilty, visiting the iniquity of the fathers on the children and the children's children to the third and fourth generation. Look at this next part. And Moses quickly bowed his head toward the earth and worshiped. Down in verse 35, as Abraham comes down uh, from the mountain there, it says the people of Israel would see his face and the skin of Moses' face was shining and Moses would put a veil over his face because that's how bright it was. See, Moses went to a designated place on top of a mountain and Moses worshiped God and, and Moses saw God move, but Moses is the one who was changed. The Bible tells us that his face was different. His look was different. People could tell that he had been with the Lord. Even Jesus enjoyed being in the presence of God. Matthew 17 and verse 1 through 5, it says this. After six days, Jesus took with him Peter and James and John and his brother and led them up a high mountain by themselves. And he was transfigured before them. That word transfigures mean that his deity was evident. His deity showed through. <clears throat> and it says, his face shone like a sun. And his clothes became white as light. And behold, there appeared to him Moses and Elijah talking with them. And Peter said to Jesus, Lord, it is good that we are here. If you wish, I will make three tents, one for you and one for Moses and one for Elijah. And he was still speaking when, behold, a bright cloud overshadowed them. And a voice from the cloud said, this is my beloved son in whom I am well pleased. Listen to him. Jesus made the decision to gather some people close to him together, and he went to a designated place on top of a mountain to soak up the glory of God. And even Jesus' face was different when he spent some time in the presence of God. See, when Jesus stood in the presence of God, his earthly side became less evident, and his deity, the glory of God, showed through him. I think you can probably see a connection here. Uh, and, and I don't think it's on accident between the face and worship. That's more than just a coincidence. Why? Because our face is the most public part of our body. And that's why nobody takes yearbook photos of people's feet, right? <laughs> no, this is the most public part of our body. And God desires to use our faces to reflect his goodness to the world like the moon reflects the sun. Your face should reflect the glory of God to the people that are around you. People should see your countenance. They should see your face and know that you've spent some time with God. 2 Corinthians 3.18 talks about this. It says, And we all, with unveiled faces, beholding, or another version would say reflecting, and another version would even say as looking in a mirror, Beholding the glory of the Lord 
And we are being transformed into that same image from one degree of glory to another. For this comes from the Lord who is the Spirit. See, this verse has the idea of our uncovered faces without a mask, our real face, our spiritual face, being as close to God's face as we were to hold a mirror. And as we look into that mirror, we are changed to look like him in his image and to his glory. That's a miraculous thing because the sculptors of Mount Rushmore had an easier chance carving faces out of stone than some of our faces to reflect the glory of God. You can look around and look for them. Look for the person that's dozing off. We see you. Not getting away with it. I used to love talking to teenagers, and they would sit there, and they would just be talking like this. And I'm like, look, I'm, I'm like four feet away from you. You're not invisible. Or they'd have their phone out. I'd throw things at them. I got in trouble for that. <laughs> I might do that here. One day, we'll see if it comes to that. But see, God wants to show us the glory of his face so he can change our face, then use our face to display his glory to the world. See, God wants to rub away the wrinkles of worry from our faces. God wants to take the shadows of shame and doubt and make them portraits of grace and trust. God wants to relax clenched jaws and smooth, worried, and furrowed brows. His touch can remove bags of exhaustion from the eyes and to turn tears of despair into tears of peace. So in your trouble today and in your suffering, the best thing that you can possibly do is worship through it. Job worshiped as he lost everything. David worshiped as he had made the biggest mistake of his life. Paul and Silas worshiped in jail. See, some of us today are worshiping our problems instead of worshiping the problem solver. Worship changes things. So stop giving weight and giving value and giving attention to the things that you can't change and start worshiping the person that can change them. It all starts with worship. We head to a designated place and we worship and show reverence and adoration for a God and for who he is. Where does that come from? That all comes from a place of gratitude. If you don't take time to think about who God is, you're not going to be a person that likes to worship very much. But once you begin to remember everything that God has done for you, you cannot help but worship. The Bible tells us that we need to magnify the Lord. I love that. That's awesome. Let's read these verses in Psalms 34 and verse 3. This is amazing. I, I, I challenge you to dwell on this verse this week. It says, Oh, magnify the Lord with me. Let us exalt his name together. I sought the Lord and he heard me and he delivered me from all of my fears. They looked unto him and they were lightened and their faces were not ashamed. This poor man cried out and the Lord heard him and saved him out of all of his troubles. The angels of the Lord encamped round about the, uh, them that fear him and delivered them. This is one of my favorite parts here. Taste and see that the Lord is good. Blessed is the man that trusts in him. 
See, magnifying God doesn't make God bigger. It changes instead our perception from horizontal things to vertical things. And as we draw nearer to God, he seems larger. It's just like uh, when you look at something from afar off, a skyscraper that's 150 stories tall, you can stick your thumb up and you can say, man, that's not that big at all. But once you become closer, it's so big that when you stand at the base of it, you can't even see the top. And that's how God is. Today, your God may seem small to you because you haven't been very close with him. Your problems may seem so big that how could God ever even fix this trouble? But once you draw closer and closer to God, the bigger and bigger that God seems, that's what it means to magnify the Lord. The closer you get, he fills your perspective. And we need a big view of God. Why? Because we have big problems and we have big worries and we have big questions. But the closer we get to God, the bigger God seems. And the more those problems and worries and questions are dwarfed by his size and his greatness. So stop worshiping your problems and start worshiping the problem solver. Stop magnifying your problems and start magnifying the Lord. Noah, since he was, he's not in here so I can talk about it. Noah, since he was about three, I began to try and work on him on this one principle. And I'm going to say it the way that he remembers it rather than the way I actually said it. We, we work on stop making a mountain out of a mole hole. That's how he's always said it. But he focuses on things. And he's working on it. He's getting better. But he'll focus on the smallest things. And those small things, since he's magnifying it, it gets so big. But instead, if we would stop getting in that mode and we begin to magnify the Lord and remember how big he is and remember how good he is and that we can trust him and that we can have faith, our problems will seem so small. We need to stop magnifying our problems and start magnifying the Lord. Now, a vibrant face of worship is the mark of one that is stood in the presence of God. The Bible tells us about the apostle uh, Stephen. It says that his face glowed with the presence of God as he stood and preached before those that would put him to death. And that passage is in uh, Acts 6.15. Now, will your face literally glow? Probably not, right? But there's something different about the face of a person who has spent time with Jesus. If you've been around Christians very long, you probably remember somebody like that. Could have been your grandmother that was a praying grandmother. Could have been a pastor that you had. Could have been that uh, uh, just person that was always ready to give you a Bible verse for everything and every problem. You probably remember somebody like there was something different about their face. You could see the trust that they had for God. You could see that they didn't worry about the things that you worried about. You could see that they actually believed that their God could step into their lives and make a difference. This face that reflects the glory of God cannot be forced. It cannot be faked. It can only come through true worship with God. We all had this type of worship. People would come just to see it and have it rub off on them. 
Psalms 40 and verse 3 says this. He put a new song in my mouth. A song of praise to our God. Many will see and fear and put their trust in the Lord. See, people can see our worship and see how we worship God. And the Bible says right here that people can put their trust in God simply from us opening our mouth and praising. Our worship can make a difference. Our worship can make a change. Real, genuine worship can change people's lives and bring people to Christ. Now, you may be here this morning and you say, I'm not even really super sure about all this God stuff. Why do I care about worship? The truth is, is you were made for this purpose. You were made to glorify God with your life. You were made to worship God. And that is your purpose. And until you fulfill that purpose, there will be an empty void in your life that cannot be filled. So how about you, church, this morning? Are you content with just a nice service? Or are you seeking more? Are you content to leave the way that you came? Or do you want more? Do you want to meet the pilot? The band's going to come. I told you we rearranged the service a little bit. I want to give you an opportunity to worship. But remember, worship isn't about what comes out of your mouth. It's about what comes out of your heart. Let me read some scripture and then I'll let them sing. I want you to, to hear these words from Psalms. You can tell the music is important to the Bible because there's a whole, the longest uh, book of the Bible is Psalms. And it's not pronounced psalms, it's psalms. <laughs> but that's songs. This is important. This has been part, what we're about to do right here, this isn't just something that, hey, we want to hear a couple tunes today. Why don't you play something for us? Christians have been doing this for thousands of years. And we can join in that song this morning. Psalms 29.2 says, ascribe to the Lord the glory that is due his name. We owe him our worship. And some of us are past due. Worship the Lord in the splendor of his holiness. Psalms 95.6 says, oh, come, let us worship and bow down. Let us kneel before the Lord, our maker. Psalms 96.9 says, worship the Lord in the splendor of his holiness. Tremble before him, all the earth. That doesn't just seem like a nice service, does it? Tremble before your God. Psalms 99.5, exalt the Lord our God. Worship at his footstool. Holy is he. Psalms 99.9, exalt the Lord our God and worship at his holy mountain. For the Lord our God is holy. Let's stand together. We're going to sing a few songs. It's going to be different. It's okay. We're not just going to go through the motions. Things are going to have a little bit of unexpectedness. There's going to be a little bit of turbulence. It's not going to be the same. We've always done it. But anytime during this singing, if you would like to come down, like the Bible says, and kneel before him and bow down before the Lord our maker. What are you seeking today? Just nice or something more? Worship doesn't change us. Worship changes 
Uh, worship doesn't change God. Worship changes the worshiper. And worship is giving or showing reverence and adoration to God. Worship is our chance to give something back to God. It's us showing God how much he is worth to us. Remember, it's not just singing. It's about what comes out of our hearts this morning. 